Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Active Growth Podcast. Today, I want to keep the intro very short and jump right into the content. So let me just quickly say that, as always, you can find show notes that go along with this episode that give you a bit of a summary of what we talk about and we link to any books and resources and so on that we mentioned during the episode on the show notes page. You can find the show notes for today's episode at activegrowth.com forward slash 30. You can also go there to leave us a comment and we always appreciate hearing back from you. So with that, let's get started with today's content right away. I'm Shane Milach. And I'm Hannah Verweck. And in this episode, I want to ask you, first of all, a question. If one of the richest self-made men in the world would give you some business advice, would you take it? Shane, would you? I mean, I want to say yes, but it, it feels like a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will probably go against everything that you learned at school and everything that you're comfortable with. So would you still take it? Oh yeah, now I'm actually I'm liking this more and more because I, I didn't I didn't learn anything useful in school anyway. So that's I'm all, I'm all, all right. ears. So I would too. And the reason that we're sharing this is because I believe that this could really, really help you not only in uh, deciding on your business idea, but also in your marketing efforts. Now, the advice I want to share comes from Ray Dalio and Ray Dalio is the founder of Bridgewater, which is one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. And uh, it's one of the only firms that actually anticipated the crash in 2008. And he states that approximation is one of the most undervalued skills that someone can have. The reason for this is that being imprecise will actually help you to make decisions quickly. That is quite unexpected, isn't it? From from someone who does you know, hedge funds, he's basically managing huge amounts of other people's money. You would th think that he would be, you know, extra careful and stuff. And and for sure, he is like a very systematic kind of person. But then hearing from him that one of his principles is be imprecise really is surprising. <laughs> exactly, and the the reason that he says to be imprecise is very interesting because we always talk about rapid implementation and this is exactly the reason why he thinks that being imprecise and being good at approximations is so important because you have a ton of decisions to make during during a day during a week whatever and making them quickly and deciding quickly whether or not it's worth going into details is one of the most undervalued skills. And the reason that I was saying that this is something that probably goes against everything that you learn and everything that you, you hear about business is because let's take school. So did your math teacher ever give you good points for giving an approximate result? Oh, not at all. I mean, for sure, in school, very much, it's like there's one right answer and you have to find the right answer and everything else is failure, right? Exactly. But if I ask you out of the, on the top of your head, like, can you calculate 38 times 12? I mean, I can, but how long is this podcast going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if, if you just take 40 times 10. Yeah, it's 400. 
Exactly. So you can give that answer immediately. Whereas 38 times 12, it's like, oh, wait, I'm not sure. Let me get a calculator and then like try to figure this out. And 40 times 10 is 400. It's super quick. You can immediately calculate that out of your head. You can see in, it's, it's imprecise. It's approximate, but it's close enough for many decisions to know whether or not you should go into more detail on that decision. Now, yeah, the problem is that if you would have told your teacher, that 38 times 12 was 400. <laughs> it's about 400, right? <laughs> it's, it's about 400, approximately 400. Uh, then they would have given you a zero. And so everybody learned that you needed to be super precise, even if it took more time. Yeah. And so and it is interesting if you think about it, it's like it does give you a ballpark that isn't that far off. So even though it's a, it's a multiplication and we're changing both values, but still, like 38 times 12 is actually 456. And I mean, it's a really rough estimation, 40 times 10, 400, but it puts us in the right ballpark. It puts us actually quite close to the correct number. Exactly. And in episode 29, we talked about how important it is to collide your idea with reality and to do it quickly. And first of all, we we talked about like calculating the viability of your idea and then getting really specific on what the next step would be. And here about the approximation, this episode is talking about how you can calculate the viability of your idea. Now, in business and in marketing decisions, just being fast is so much more important than being precise because in the end, you will never actually know what will happen. If you decide that you're going to sell uh, whatever, 20 ebooks at 29 euros or uh, 20 ebooks at 30 euros, it doesn't make any difference, but you can calculate it much easier. And you can get to a yes or a no on your idea and whether or not you should implement that idea much quicker. And that is why approximation is so important and why it's the way to do this. Now we're going to have a look at some specific examples to uh, use approximation to validate your business idea or marketing strategy. So first of all, imagine that you want to sell 50 ebooks a month. So 50 ebooks a month, you have a sales page. How many people would you need to get to that sale page? How much traffic would you need in order to sell 50 ebooks a month? So here we would use the approximation of just 1% conversion rate on your sales page. And then you would get to the result that you need to get 5,000 people to your sales page to sell 50 ebooks a month. Now, it's up to you to decide whether or not this is viable for you, if this is possible to do. But it gives you this ballpark of traffic that you will need to sell your ebook. This is also something where we can start to play around with numbers a little bit again, without needing precision yet, because this 1% conversion rate, this is a number we can play around with and it can help us decide a few things. So it can help us decide where to place a lever. So by playing with these numbers, I can think about, well, what do I need to invest in? Do I do, I do this and do I pursue larger traffic channels or do I do this and do I try to change the lever of the 1% conversion rate, right? Because so maybe what I can do is I can change the price, for example, a price is a huge conversion lever. And maybe if I lower the price, I can increase my conversion rate significantly. Maybe that helps me reach my revenue goal. 
or maybe this ebook is a loss leader anyway and i basically want to get leads and again i can i can think about how do i manipulate these numbers you know maybe i can adjust my target of how many ebooks do i want to sell maybe i can adjust my target of how many people do i need to get to the page or maybe i can adjust my target of how um, my conversion rate needs to change and this is one of the things where this approximation then leads to action because if i decide what I really need is a higher conversion rate on this page, then I'm going to spend time running A-B tests, price testing, and stuff like that. Whereas if I decide what I really need is more traffic, then maybe I'll spend time on search engine optimization or paying for advertising or outreach, influencer marketing, and so on. And so you can see that even based on just these estimations, we can decide what direction to go in and what to focus on. Now, this was a really simple example where you just set a goal for a number of ebooks you want to sell. But let's go into some more complicated examples. So, one example could be if you want a guest post. So, let's imagine that you want to publish two guest posts a month. Now, first of all, you will have to reach out to people to ask whether or not you could guest post on their blog. And on Cold outreach emails, you can imagine that you will get about a 4% uh, response rate. Now, from those 4%, still, you will not have everybody accepting a guest post. So let's say you have a 70% close rate when somebody answered you. Now, this actually means that in order to get two guest posts, you will need three people to answer you. And in order to have three people to answer you through email, you would need to send 75 emails. So now this approximation can lead to a very specific goal where you have to send 75 emails, cold outreach emails to ask for guest posts if you want to nail two guest posts a month. What you might notice in this example is that it's fairly pessimistic, right? We're assuming that we have to send a hundred emails to get four replies. And you might be thinking, well, you know, can't I get more replies to that? And, and maybe you can, but I think it is useful to to kind of lowball these kinds of things, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. And this is also something where you can think about if this 4% um, reply rate is much too low, what you can think about is, first of all, well, can I do much better outreach? Can I do something to leverage my outreach? Or is it acceptable to reach out to smaller players? Because a 4% reply rate is what I would expect from reaching out to websites that basically don't need my guest post, right? And the type of person or website where they, they just have, you know, they're basically an online celebrity or they're a huge business and they their inbox is flooded with people who want to write for them, right? And so, and of course, there you can say, well, it might be much harder to get a reply and to get a, a, a guest post placed there but it might be worth it because of the size of the audience but again it gives us levers to play with we can think about well maybe this is too much and maybe what i'll do is i will do like semi-automatic outreach to smaller players where maybe i can get like a 20 percent reply rate but then the guest posts will be published on websites that aren't very prestigious. Indeed, as you can see, there are still a lot of things we can play around with, but it will give you some kind of ballpark number to start from and to start focusing your action on. And in the end, that's what's really important. 
Now let's go into an example that might be a little bit of a brain truster here. <laughs> this was actually an example that I saw uh, somebody ask in a Facebook group. And this was my exact answer to the question. So somebody was wondering if I want, a t if I want to have a membership site with a thousand members, how many people would I have to get to my sales page? Now, I have to be honest, I was pretty lazy. I didn't calculate the whole thing, but I did give some numbers that that person could use then to calculate. So first of all, let's start again with our 1% conversion rate on a sales page. Um, the reason for that, it's just, it's easy to calculate and it's, it's not that far off, especially for um, a monthly recurring uh, membership site. And the next thing that you have to think about is when somebody is in a membership, and especially if it's like a monthly recurring payment, not everybody is going to stay in that membership. And here you can imagine that you have a 30% churn rate. Now, what this means is that 30% of people will actually cancel their subscription after one month and then 30% on the second month and 30%. So month over month, 30% of your members will actually cancel their membership. Now, let's see what this means. If on month one, you get a thousand people to your sales page, this would mean that you get 10 signups, so 10 um, customers for your membership site. And that in the second month, seven people would still stay in the membership. So that's that 30% churn rate, right? 30% cancels. Now you would get, again, if you have a thousand people to your sales page, 10 new people who come in, which would then give you 17 people in month two in your membership site. Now, 12 of those people would stay to month three, and then you would get 10 new people, which gives you 22 people in your membership and so on and so on. So <laughs> this, like I said, it's a bit more of a complicated way of calculating, and I couldn't do this on the top of my head, but again, it will give you some approximate numbers. And I think what's what's really important here is, is first of all, again, by just starting this calculation, we can get an idea of, oh, this, this is gonna take longer than I thought. And the churn rate here is the thing that most people would neglect or underestimate, right? And they would think, well, you know, getting a thousand members is kind of like getting a thousand customers, but that is not the same thing. And so, I think that's that's another thing where it's important to really look at the components as what's happening here. And in this case, the, the most important component of our calculation is this churn rate. Now, because as you've seen, this, this is quite complicated um, and it's not, this is the kind of calculation that you can't just do off the top of your head. So let's let's briefly talk about tools. I wanna, I wanna quickly mention something here, which is that over the years, I have twice signed up for two different tools that were supposed to help you make these kinds of projections and run these numbers, basically, you know, simulate your business, right? And do these kinds of estimations. And I've forgotten what both of them were called. I don't know if they're still, you know, if they even still exist, but it doesn't matter because they were both rubbish. So my recommendation is not to buy a tool to do this essentially, because they were they were rubbish because first of all they were too time consuming and too complicated right it's it's you had to learn how to use this thing and how to connect them the bits correctly to run the calculations and so on. it took too much time which is exactly what we're trying to not do right we're trying to not spend a ton of time and also they were trying to be too precise and that was the main reason why i stopped using them they were trying to give you 
precise results. And this is misleading, especially if you have this tool that draws some nice charts and stuff. It can then fool you into thinking that you have calculated the future, which is not what we're doing. Right? We're simply estimating. And so for those reasons, I stopped using those tools. So what kind of tools can you use? For this kind of calculation that we've just gone through, I think an Excel spreadsheet or, or a Google Docs spreadsheet is ideal because what you can do is even without mastering the formula, uh, you can basically run this calculation a couple of times manually then select the range and expand it, right? Exactly. One thing that's fun in Excel is that you can just put in like 1% and it will calculate. And then you're like, oh, what happens if I put this at 2% or yeah. so it's without having to redo the whole thing. Exactly. So that's, that's something where you could use Excel for sure. But in most cases, when I do calculations like this, I don't even use Excel. I just use a simple document. So I just open a text document or a notepad and, and just jot down the numbers there. And that's basically just to assist me because, you know, I can't really calculate very well in my head. So, or, you know, I mean, literally on the back of a napkin, right? You just jot down a couple of numbers. And, and these are the tools that I would recommend. In fact, I would recommend them in, in reverse order. I would say back of napkin, simple document or text file and Excel in that order because again we want to get to an estimation quickly we want to take action quickly and so the less complicated the tool the the less time we're going to spend and the more we're going to stay focused on just getting that ballpark and taking action i mean every phone has a calculator these days so you can yeah. simply use your phone to make these calculations and then jot it down on the back of a napkin as you're saying um, especially yeah, don't waste time learning new tools. This is absolutely not the time that you want to be learning a new tool. Now, let's go into some more examples, shall we? So one of the things that people often want to do is sell from webinars. So what does this mean? This means that you need to get people to a sign-up page for your webinar. So we can imagine that 40% of the people would sign up on that sign-up page then people actually have to show up to the webinar, which is again, another point where people can actually drop off. And let's imagine that 30% of the people who actually signed up will also show on your webinar. And then of those people who actually show up and follow the webinar, 10% of them could buy your coaching package. So here, this would mean that in order to be able to sell five of your coaching packages, you would need 400 people to your signup page, which would mean 160 signups, and that would give you 50 show-ups, which then would give you, with the 10% conversion rate, five people who can sign up to your coaching package. Or maybe you're still in the stage where you're offering the free coaching calls, like we suggest you start out with when you start your online business. And in that case, you can try to set a goal for a number of free coaching calls that you want to conduct every month. So if you offer the sign up somewhere on an opt-in form on your website, so people can sign up from maybe a slide-in that's on your website or something, you can imagine that you will have a 2% conversion rate on that form. So people who sign up for the coaching call. But then 
if you do free coaching calls, you will notice that some people will just not show up. So in order to calculate this into your realistic number, you will need a little bit more people to actually sign up in order to have your 10 free coaching calls a month. So let's imagine that 20% of people who signs up actually don't show. Now, in this case, that would mean that you need 650 views on your sign-up form, which would then give you 13 signups for your free coaching call, which would give you 10 people who actually show up. And then one last example, if you are trying to get consultant clients. So imagine that you want a new paid consultant gig a week. Now for this, you will have to send cold outreach emails. And in this case, we can imagine that 10% of the people that you reach out to will ask for a proposal. And from that proposal, 50% of those people will actually take you up on this offer. So in this case, it would mean that you have to send 20 emails, 20 cold outreach emails to targeted clients in order to get one new consultant gig. Now, we might be listening to this and thinking, well, where do we get all these numbers from, right? 2%, 10%, whatever. Like, how do we get this? And I think there are two important factors here. One is that you basically, again, we're not trying to get the exact right answer. And the, the, the right answer is basically unknown. All we want is an estimate. And so one way of thinking about this is to essentially do fuzzy thinking instead of sharp thinking, right? To, to get away from wanting to, write, to, to know the exact right answer. And instead, just thinking in basically probabilities rather than right or wrong. So if we take this here, right? If we say, okay, 10% um, reply rate from cold outreach, instead of thinking, well, is that the right amount? We can think about, well, how likely is that to be correct? And that's that's one of the things we can use to, to reach an approximation because right away, I mean, it has to be something between zero and 100%, right? Now, if I, 100%, how likely is it to get 100% reply rate from cold outreach? Matt, <laughs> not very likely. <laughs> exactly, that's not going to happen, right? So we adjust downwards. How likely is it to get 50%? Well, you know, is every other person going to reply? Again, it's very unlikely. Right? Our outreach would have to be amazing. And we can just think about that from our own experience as well. It's like, you know, how many emails do we get that we don't even open? So we can keep adjusting downwards. And then, you know, if we go at some point, we get so low, it's like 2%. We're like, hold on. I mean, if I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spend some time researching these people. I'm going to send personalized outreach messages. I'm going to um, follow up if they don't reply within a few days and stuff like that. I could probably get more than one or two percent of them to uh, to reply. Right? It's, this is likely, and that's how we end up. You know, basically, you can you can kind of approach this a, a likely number uh, by by eliminating the extremes. So right away, we know it has to be more than like two percent. It has to be less than like twenty five percent. Right? And that's how we arrive at something like, okay, I'm going to use 10% for my calculation. Another factor here is that it's good to do this estimation and then give it a try and adjust your numbers if needed. Because what I can do right away is if I assume a 10% reply rate, I can go ahead and, and send like 20 or 30 emails. And if I get only one reply, then I can go back and you know adjust my numbers and adjust my calculation. And if I, if I send the 30 emails and I get more than the expected three replies, I get five or six or seven replies. Again, I can go back and adjust my estimation because again, the, the 
an important factor here is that we want to get to action as quickly as possible. Now let's run through the numbers of another example. So let's basically take this a bit further. And let's imagine that we have a, a course, let's say a fitness course, and I want to sell this using Facebook ads. So I know that I have to spend money for clicks and I want to basically calculate, you know, how much can I spend on this or how much do I need to earn for this to work? And here we could use some numbers from, we could find some numbers about Facebook advertising, or maybe if we have some experience with it, we can go back and, and look at these numbers to, to get estimates. And we could say, okay, maybe what's realistic is on the ads, a 1% click through rate. So out of a hundred people who see the ad, one person will click. And, and I'll have an average cost per click of maybe $2. And I have a sales page that converts at 2%. So with those basic numbers, okay, another important number is how much money am I making per sale? So my profit margin per sale, let's say I'm earning $90 for every person who buys this course. So I know that if I spend $200, I get 100 clicks. And out of 100 clicks, I will get two sales and that makes $180, right? And so I know that I, if I spend $200, I only make $180. Or another way to put that is my cost per click is $2, but my average earnings per click is $1.80. So that's a $90 sale value and a 2% conversion rate that makes an EPC and earnings per click of 180. So in this case, I can basically run this estimation and see this is probably not gonna work out. I have to change something here I have to improve my conversion rate or lower my cost per click or something in order to be profitable here. So one way we can do that is we can add an upsell. We can say, okay, so I get a bunch of people to buy my thing and I add an upsell, you know, maybe like a, an elite premium membership or maybe it's a fitness course and I sell some supplements or maybe it's even like a cross promotion, right? Maybe I'm promoting uh, as an affiliate, some product that is relevant to people who bought my product. So let's say I have an opportunity to add a $100 upsell. So everyone who buys my initial product for $90 will then see, okay, here's another offer for another thing. That's $100. And here I can calculate that if I get a 10% conversion rate on this. So if one in 10 customers takes me up on this upsell offer, that would be enough to break even. And the calculation here is, is really simple, right? We have $90 per sale. And if 10% of those people give me another $100, that basically changes my front end profit to $100 per sale and my front end EPC on a 2% conversion rate to $2, right? That's how I make up that difference that, that meant before that I was not profitable. So I can get this very simple um, estimate of adding a $100 upsell with a 10% conversion rate is what I need to break even knowing all these numbers. Another thing that I haven't mentioned yet is at the beginning I said we have a 1% click-through rate. And this again can help us estimate what's going to happen with this, with this proposed plan of using Facebook ads. Because it means that if I have a 1% click-through rate, it means that I have to reach 10,000 people in order to earn those $180 on the front end or $200 uh, in total, right? So I have to reach because if 1% of people click, right, I have to 
show the ad to 100 people to get one click, 1,000 people to get 10, 10,000 people to get 100 clicks. And this is important because when I'm building my audience in Facebook, it shows me an estimate of how many people I can reach in this audience. So if I, if I have to narrow down my audience to, let's say, 40 or 50,000 people in order to get a low enough cost per click and a high enough conversion rate, then again, I, I know that I can basically abandon this plan because I'm only going to make a few hundred dollars at best and then I'm going to run out of people. We already gave you some pointers, but let's look at how you can make good approximations. So the very first thing that you have to do is you have to break down the process in points of conversion. Now, what does this mean? It means that you start from the end of the goal. So you start from whatever you want to reach and then you look back to what has to happen and every time that there can be a drop-off in people, you will need to find a number for that. So exactly like we calculated before with our, um, our sales, for example, well, people coming to a sales page, that's a conversion point because a lot of people will drop off. Not every visitor will become a customer. And so each time that you have this type of drop off, you need to try to find estimate numbers. That's why when we looked at our webinar, for example, we looked at how many people will actually show, how many people will actually buy, how many people will actually sign up on this on the sign up page. And that will give you the right numbers to calculate. Now, the thing that you can do to get those approximate numbers is, first of all, like Shane already explained, you can try to imagine what would be realistic, but you can also use Google for this and go to find average industry numbers. Because, for example, I had absolutely no idea what the click-through rate was on an ad in fitness and what the average uh, cost per click is in that industry. But the simple Google search gave those numbers. Now, something else that you can do, of course, is if you know somebody who's already doing it, just call them up and ask them. If you know somebody who does cold outreach emails to get proposals, even if it's not in your industry, talk to them and ask them like, oh, how many emails do you actually have to send? How many people answer? And this will give you that ballpark number that you are looking for. Another tool that can be useful if you're kind of you know, grasping in the dark for numbers is that actually in Google Analytics, if you go to your audience, uh, the audience menu, there's a benchmarking item there. And the benchmarking is basically, it shows you your numbers, you know, your traffic and bounce rate and so on, compared to numbers in your industry or in other industries. So it just averages from other people using Google Analytics. So that's also something where, you know, let's say you have an e-commerce store, you have a low price product or something like, oh, I don't know what the conversion rate, you know, what, what conversion rate can I expect? Well, you know, you can look at these benchmarking numbers to get an idea of that as well. And many tools will give you those benchmarking numbers. I know for sure that, for example, MailChimp has this option also that it shows you if you're doing better or worse than, than the benchmark in your industry. So this is really Google it, look it up. There are a lot of benchmarking numbers that you can actually find. Now, 93% of drivers think that they drive better than the average person on the road. 
there's kind of a problem with that, right? They're, they're naive. I mean, this is, is terrible. I mean, I'm obviously a better driver than most people, but clearly all those other people. Are. Exactly. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because you will always think that you can do better than average. You will look at those numbers and be like, what? A 1% click-through rate on Facebook ads? Oh, my ads will get 10% click-through rate, right? It's so good. My stuff is so good. Exactly. But what what will be important here is like try to err on on the pessimistic side. Um because if your if your idea, if your business idea or your marketing idea or whatever is still a go even using those pessimistic numbers, you you can only do better, right? Yeah, and you know, another way to think of that is that basically it's it's great to strive for excellence and it's great to get an excellent result but if your if your business plan must have you know a 10% sales conversion rate in order to survive then that's a problem because that's a real stretch goal it's really hard to get that kind of a conversion rate right so it's much better I to would have a business... love to get to a 10% conversion <laughs> rate on our sales pages <laughs> yeah it would be fantastic but also you know i think for some products and some industries this is not impossible i'm sure there are businesses out there who are nailing that kind of goal but it is the extreme exception and it's much better to have a business that could survive on a 1 or 2% sales conversion rate but still gets, you know, a five or six or seven or 10% conversion rate. That's where you want to be. You don't want to depend on a miracle to, to make your business work. Another thing to keep in mind here is to account for the unknown. So there's always stuff that we don't know. And in certain estimations, we, we basically want to kind of leave a gap for just here's the stuff that I can't calculate or can't estimate. And this is especially important for estimating time. People are notoriously bad at estimating how long it will take them to do something. And so as an example, if I'm, let's say I want to create an online course and I know I've planned out my course. I know there's 20 lessons in this course and I know that I can finish one lesson in one day. Here would be a mistake to say, well, in that case, I can finish the course in 20 days because that assumes that I have a perfect run for 20 days, right? But realistically, I, I, <laughs> I absolutely made that mistake once <laughs> and I lost my voice halfway through. The problem was that I already sold the course. So people were waiting for it. And I can tell you that, um, yeah, some of those videos were kind of me talking like this, trying to force my voice to still do this course. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that, that's actually a great example of something that can go wrong that you can't, you can't know. And from my experience, it's just like yeah, anything that if you, if you're working on a thing for 20 days, like stuff is going to go wrong, right? It's like your, your microphone's going to break or your, your computer's going to crash and you have to reinstall windows or yeah, you're going to lose your voice or something is going to go wrong or you're going to do something and realize, oh, I have to redo these three lessons or whatever, right? It's not going to be a flawless run. And that is in general, like don't assume and don't calculate based on a flawless run. So. In this case, you basically want to say, okay, I know that in an ideal world with everything going right, I can get this done in 20 days, but I'm going to estimate maybe 25 or 26 days because of unknowns. And I'm not, I'm not defining what that is. I don't know what it is. I just know that probably some stuff's going to go wrong. And another point about this is that this is a kind of a delicate balance because if I'm um, pre-selling my course, for example, then I would want to have this 
slightly pessimistic view and say, okay, let's say 30 days from now, I'm going to release this course. But when I'm setting a deadline to keep myself productive or to keep my team productive, then I want to tighten that belt a bit again. I, I still don't want to set a deadline that assumes a perfect run because that's unmotivating, right? It, it just makes people feel bad for something that's totally natural, which is stuff going wrong. But I also don't want to give too much leeway and, you know, basically give people the license, whether that's, again, whether that's myself or people I work with, I don't, I don't want to give people the license to slack off, right? Because, ah, oh, whatever, it's 30 days, right? So there I would basically try to find a balance and say, I would tell my customers in 30 days it's ready. And I would tell myself or my team, this has got to be ready in 24 days. A great advantage of this type of estimation is that it can help us turn lag indicators into lead indicators. Now we've talked about this before on episode nine of the podcast, and we also have a post on the Active Growth blog that talks about personal KPI tracking tools, which also goes into lead indicators versus lag indicators. But let me quickly summarize what this is about. We have certain things, and usually the results that we're after in our business are lag indicators. So I want to you know, sell a certain amount of, of books. Well, that's a lag indicator of a lot of stuff that comes before, because I have to, I have to create a sales page. I have to get traffic to that sales page. I have to get those conversions. I have to do all kinds of stuff before I get to that result of having sold a book. So another way to think of this is that people have to go through many steps before I get my result, right? They have to learn about me and that I even exist and that I have a website. They have to find their way to my website. If they find their way to my website, maybe they read one of my blog posts or they watch a video, then they still have to find their way to learn about I'm selling a book. They have to be interested enough. And maybe that takes some trust building, right? Maybe they have to watch several videos before they go, oh, okay, maybe I should check out this product he keeps talking about. Then they need to find the sales page. The sales page needs to convince them. Then they need to get out their money and so on. So there are many steps between someone not knowing about me at all and someone having bought my book. And this is important because even if I do everything right, I will not get the result immediately. Even if I've set up a, a fantastic funnel and I have all this content that people can discover and that they can get to know me and I have all these promotions, all this stuff, I've done it all right, but it doesn't mean I'm going to get sales right away because people have to go through this process still. And that means this is a lag indicator. The number of sales I make is a lag indicator. It lags behind the actions I take. And I can think about, well, what are my lead indicators? What is the input that will lead to that result? And inputs that lead to that result are things like uh, improving my sales copy, creating more content for people to discover, um, you know, maybe advertising my book throughout my website in my contents, like the work that I put in that will eventually lead to people buying my product. And these, and that's important to focus on because focusing on the lag indicator can be very unmotivating. Sometimes we have to put a lot of work into our business up front before we start seeing the payoff. And it's much better to know these are my lead indicators and to basically know based on my estimations, if I reach out to 10 people every day, if I publish a new blog post every week, if I you know spend this much on paid advertising and I keep calling my ads, A-B testing my landing pages and so on, 
These are all lead indicators. If I do these actions consistently based on my estimation, I will get to this result. And that's really important. We want to have these lead indicators. We want to know, am I doing the work that will likely lead to the result? And this is what these estimations can be good for. It can help us figure out what actions to take in order to get the result we want. Try it out. Start from your goal, work backwards to get to those actions and don't spend hours. Simply use approximations to see if you should spend your time, if this is a realistic idea or not. And if you have any trouble, we'll happily help you out. So you can leave in the comments your approximations and we'll see if we think you're on the right track. And that wraps up our episode about approximation, a skill that I guess I've never encountered before. I've, I've never really seen anyone talk about this as this is such an important skill. And I was genuinely surprised when Hannah told me about this, you know, that Ray Dalio calls this one of the most undervalued skills. It's, it's really surprising. But as you saw, we walked through a bunch of examples and I hope you found those helpful to kind of guide you in your own approximations and estimations. And so I did realize that this is something that I have been doing for a long time. And I did realize that it's that it's important, but it's one of those things that I, I would never have thought of, oh, this is a thing that makes a difference, right? It's just not one of those things that stands out. And with that, it's kind of the perfect thing to cover on the Active Growth Podcast. I like to think that our content is a bit different from the typical show that interviews a different guest every week where it's always like okay tell us your origin story you know how did you become successful what are your three most important tips blah 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 right i mean that can be great okay some interviewers are good and i like to listen to those kinds of podcasts sometimes as well but i do feel like one of the problems they have is that you tend to hear the same things over and over again and this kind of stuff that we've been talking about on today's episode and on previous episodes it kind of goes into the nitty-gritty of things that are maybe not quite as exciting as tell us your origin story and not quite as exciting as, you know, here's the most important thing that caused a dramatic turnaround, but more the day-to-day, -day, what does it actually take to build and run a business as a startup entrepreneur? I hope that you agree with me and that you are enjoying this content and getting use out of it. We really appreciate hearing from our listeners and you can let us know if you have any questions or feedback or suggestions of what we should talk about. You can do that by going to activegrowth.com forward slash 30 and you'll find the show notes and you can also leave a voice message or a written comment with any questions or feedback you have. You can also tweet us your questions if you send a question to at ActiGrow on Twitter. And some of the questions occasionally we answer, you know, we pick out a question and answer it on the show as well. In whatever way suits you, we love hearing from you and it's very important for us to get feedback from you. We've talked about this as well on previous episodes and we practice what we preach here, right? We talk about how important it is to be in touch with your audience and to really know, you know, what's relevant to them to ask questions, to know what's going on with your audience and not just like sit in your own echo chamber. That's why very often at the end of the episode, you hear me talking about, you know, come and leave a comment, come and have a chat with us because it really helps us make content better as well. All right. And that's it. That is all I have for today's episode. As always, thank you very much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.